Well, this morning we will continue on in 2 Corinthians. Um, this really rich passage about where Paul is contrasting the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. If you weren't here last week, I would urge you to go and listen or read last week's sermon on Judaizers in Corinth, which is really uh, a way to introduce this passage, and, and I think it will be helpful for you for the next three sermons to help you understand, and also after that where Paul goes from there. Um, so it is a rather difficult section of Paul's letter, and, um, but very rich and very fruitful, much for us to, to gain from this passage. So we will read verse 3 first, and then skip over to verse 6 and read through verse 11. This is in 2 Corinthians 3. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Then skipping over to verse 6, he says, referring to God, who made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must, must, must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Now the way that we're approaching this passage is last week we had sort of an introduction, an overview, and then there, we're going to go to, into three different themes, two of which are in, in this passage and one's in the passage that begins here and then continues into the passage which follows it. So um, one of the things that I said last week to introduce us to what's going on here, if you've been here and you've noticed that you know, Paul, you've been, we've been talking about how Paul's responding to the accusations of his opponents who have come into the church at Corinth and begun to undermine him and his apostleship. That in that passage, suddenly he starts talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. And what's inferior about the old covenant compared to the new covenant. And we said that the reason Paul's doing this is as it turns out, the opponents of Paul in Corinth were Judaizers. 
And we explained what that meant and how they got to the place they were. And that's why I recommended you go back and listen. But basically, they were advocating um, a kind of Christianity which was Old Covenant Christianity. And he's arguing that Jesus came and established a new covenant. And, and it's time to let go of the Old Covenant, leave it behind and move on to the new covenant of Christ. And so that's what he's been talking about. And uh, he therefore is contrasting the old and the new and why the new is superior and why it should be abandoned. So there are three distinctions that he brings up between the old covenant and the new covenant. We're going to talk about the first one today. And that distinction is this, that the Old Covenant was a covenant of letter, whereas the New Covenant is a covenant of the Spirit. The Old Covenant was a ministry of death. The New Covenant was a ministry of righteousness or a ministry of life. We see Paul say this, these things, a number of times in the passage. In verse 3, he talks about a letter written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And um, partly because of other passages like Hebrews 8, um, 8 to 13. We can tell that when Paul's talking about God writing his law upon human hearts... He's really talking about the same thing as, as uh, referring to this is the covenant of the Spirit. That the Spirit writes, in the New Covenant, the Spirit writes His law upon human hearts. And so, um, that passage there in Hebrews that I just referred to is a very, very parallel to this one. It's contrasting the Old and New Covenants. It's declaring the Old one obsolete. And the New one... Uh, permanent and but the language it uses is slightly different it uses the language of a law written on the minds and hearts of God's people not um, in the language that's used here where it is with a, a ministry of the spirit of the living God but you can see because of the parallel that those two things are exactly the same okay so we see that the Old Covenant. Oh, I'm sorry. I just told you, I just mentioned that there was, you see this all through the passage. I just went to verse 3. Now I need to mention the others. Verse 6 we see it. Paul says that the New Covenant is not a covenant of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, he says, but the Spirit gives life. Verse 7, he refers to the Old Covenant as the ministry of death. Written, carved in letters on stone. Verse 8, Paul refers to the new covenant as a ministry of death. Again, a ministry of the Spirit, sorry. Refers to the new covenant as the ministry of the Spirit. And then finally in verse 9, he contrasts the old and the new covenants as the ministry of condemnation and the ministry of righteousness. So you get the point, I hope. That, that the point, the focus today is the theme of how one 
The old covenant is a covenant of the letter which leads to death. The new covenant is a covenant of the spirit which leads to righteousness. Okay then. Um, Let's talk about the old covenant as a ministry of death and why he says that. What that means. Um, He refers to it as a ministry of death in letters carved in stone. And then he goes on to refer to it as a ministry of condemnation in verse 9. And of course the stone, the stone of the, is referring to the tablets, the Ten Commandments. You know, where God carved his law into stone tablets. And here it seems like he's using the stone of those tablets as sort of, as symbolizing the stony hearts of God's people that weren't ready to receive his law. So why does he speak this way of the covenant that God established with Israel through Moses? That was the old covenant, the covenant that God established with Moses at Mount Sinai. The new covenant, of course, is the covenant God established with Christ in his coming in his death on the cross. The point is that the law by itself, when given to sinners, accomplishes only condemnation. That's all it gets you. The law of God given to sinners, if that's if that's if the picture that you have painted in front of you is just that God is giving his law to sinners. Where does that get you? That equals condemnation. That's all the result that comes forth from it. In a number of places, Paul argues that the new covenant is superior to the old covenant. For instance, um, saying that the old covenant, the weakness of the old covenant is that it was powerless to save but only powerful to condemn in Romans 4.15 for instance he says for the law brings wrath that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the law the law but the law brings wrath because we can't keep it he makes this more clear in Romans 7 where he explains why the law leads to death he says The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. And then he explains why. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. Through the commandment, sin killed me. So the law is holy And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. In other words, it's not the law that brought death. It was sin, he says, producing death in me through that which is good. In other words, through the law, sin brings us death. So if the covenant that God has with us 
is merely about God handing us his law and that's it then there's no hope in that at all only death it's useless the law of God is useless by itself if God is uninvolved except as a lawgiver there's no hope if the Bible is here merely to tell me what to do and how to be as opposed to telling me the wonderful things that God has done to procure, procure my salvation all we end up with is dead moralism where we're just trying to do good things but it leads us nowhere because sin we're captives to sin we cannot keep God's law But the new covenant is a ministry of righteousness, Paul says. It goes beyond just giving the law to sinners. He says in Romans 7, 5, and 6, While we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Sin Responding to the law through, by disobedience just resulted in death. But, verse 6, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Very similar to the kinds of things he's talking about here in 2 Corinthians 3. And then the next chapter, he says in the beginning of chapter 8 of Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, weakened by our sin, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So, he contrasts the new covenant. And you can see the old covenant is very simple and basic. There's only a few moving parts. You have a God the lawgiver. You have his law. You have man the sinner. And you have condemnation that results. It's very simple. The new covenant's much more complicated. And, and uh, it, it, it's like the difference between the kind of stuff you teach a toddler and the kind of stuff you teach an adult. It's one of the reasons God... God uh, revealed one first and the other one later. But God has, really the old covenant is like part of the foundation of the new covenant. The new covenant was built on the foundation of the old covenant. It's part of the gospel that, you know, God made us in his image and that he gave us his law, but that we rebelled and disobeyed his law and deserve condemnation. That's the way the gospel starts. But it doesn't end there. 
it goes on to tell us of the promised one who came and who came to redeem us from our sin and from the condemnation we deserve because of the law. Now, interestingly, in this passage, the way that that new covenant is construed is by referring to it as something that's of the Spirit. So, you know, uh, what does that mean? What is this covenant of the Spirit? Well, the first aspect of it, it would seem, is the coming of Jesus. Now you say, well, wait a minute. The Spirit and Jesus, those are two different members of the Trinity. Is this the covenant of Jesus or is this the covenant of the Spirit? Well, if you don't understand how the Spirit was involved in the coming of Jesus and that these are the same thing, then you don't get, the, you don't get what Christ was all about. Jesus is the one who was not just man. He was man and spirit. You know, the promise, uh, Isaiah 11:2, is that he would be the one who would come and be filled with the spirit. And that's different than anyone had ever come before. Man came one after another, generation after generation. All failures, over and over again. God you know, reiterated his law and they kept failing, kept failing. Because it was just man. But then one came who was a man of the spirit. And that's what made all the difference. One came who was not just a man. That's why he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's why the very first thing that happens when he begins his ministry at his baptism by John is that he, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and empowers him for his ministry. And you know, this is what Christ means. Christ is the Greek, you know, Christos is the Greek word, word we get Christ from, is the Greek word for Mashiach, or which we say Messiah, the promised one, you know, and that what, do the, what do those words mean? They mean the anointed one. Well, what is Jesus anointed with? He's anointed with the Spirit. That's who he was. That was what was so unique about him, is that he was the one anointed with the Spirit. That's why he could do what no one before him had done. And then, of course, so it was the coming of Christ, but then after Christ came and ascended to heaven, then he poured out his Spirit upon his people. And through the outpouring of the Spirit, people's eyes are open to the reality of Christ. Our souls are reborn by the Spirit. You know, Jesus, we're talking to Nicodemus, talks about those who are born of the flesh and those who are born of the Spirit. And he applies what Christ did in his atoning work to us. The, the Spirit does, that is. And then the Spirit works to write the law on our hearts. It was just out there on a tablet, on a page before. And we tried to keep it, but couldn't. But now he's written it on our hearts. And what that means is that he's given us a love for it, an openness to it. In, uh, an openness to it 
a desire for it and the, and power to to uh, live lives according to it not perfectly of course but truly and significantly and so the new covenant you see this covenant of Christ is very much different than the first covenant and these Judaizers are trying to squeeze Christ into the old covenant instead of realizing that Christ came to start a new covenant and this is <clears throat> this is something that is not just a um, you know like a first century heresy that um, they had to deal with this is a something that has um, continued where there's um, there's a tendency in us to go back to the old way we'll get to that in a minute but let me just tell you first that I'm going to skip a section here where I answer four questions about this it's on the website already you know under today's sermon I'll read the four questions, but then you could go and read them on your own. Read the answers on your own. But the first question is, why is Paul being so critical of something that God himself instituted? This old covenant. The second question is, why would God set up a ministry of death, as Paul says he did here in the days of Moses? And the third question is, Weren't some people in Israel saved in the days of Moses? Then how can someone be saved by a ministry of death and a ministry of condemnation? And then the fourth question is, does this mean that we're throwing out the law? So I'll let you read those on your own. But let, let's us just turn to practical matters, lessons we can learn and things we should keep in mind in light of this. So, if your relationship with Christ isn't anything more than trying to do the things you know God wants you to do, then Paul says you're in danger of old covenant Christianity. Old covenant Christianity is more than a minor doctrinal mistake. It's, as I said, it's more than just a heresy in the first century. It is one manifestation of a disease that has plagued the Christian church down through the ages. A fatal disease. There are two very different systems that we're talking about here. Two very different mindsets. The old way of thinking is that you get saved by doing good. By being good. And God helps you be good. But it's still you being good. And the, this is contrasted with the way of Christ, which is the way of faith, the way of grace. One is all about what man does. The other one is all about what God does for man. One is the way of divine promise, and one is the way of human effort. And there are many varieties. Let me tell you, there are many varieties of this disease. 
There's a Buddhist version. There's a Hindu version. There's a Muslim version. There's a Jewish version. There's a Mormon version. There's a Jehovah's Witnesses version. There's a Roman Catholic version. There's an Eastern Orthodox version. There's a Baptist version. There's a Methodist version. There's an Episcopalian and a Lutheran version. There are Pentecostal and Charismatic versions. There are non-denominational independent versions. And there is a Presbyterian and Reformed version. It is a duty-centered, fear-centered, rule-centered religion. It is living as though God's approval is based on what we do in the flesh. As if the only way God can love us is when we reform our lives and begin obeying his law. And what's the key? Trying harder. Willpower. But in Christ we've come to know that he graciously gives us his law, that his favor, his love that we don't deserve. Because it is based on Christ's performance, not our performance. That he fulfilled the law for us. That he, in a sense, fulfilled the old covenant by keeping God's law perfectly. And the life he was given as a reward he passes on to us. And the righteous declaration that was made over him, that he had done what he was supposed to do, he said, you will be counted in this as well. We are exhorted again and again in the New Testament to avoid this trap of old covenant Christianity. And that implies that we're going to be tempted to go that direction. Otherwise, why would we be warned not to? And it isn't easy giving up these, things, these old ideas, these old ways, and moving on. There's a strong tendency to slip back into the old covenant way of thinking. There's some ways that we'd actually, we actually prefer it, even though it's so inferior. In a number of ways, it's more natural. It's more instinctual. It's more according to what people are familiar with. It's more easy to understand, easy to handle. In some ways, it's more gratifying to the flesh because you have a system where you get approved for what you did. It's humbling to have God love you without basing it on anything about you. The new covenant is way more dependent on the spirit. It's way more dependent on what we can't see. And that makes us nervous. We are called to live not by what we see, but by what we know is true. That's what this age is all about. We're called to walk by faith, not by sight. But it's much easier to walk by sight. And the old covenant was much more about sight. 2 Corinthians 4.18 coming up in just a few verses. We look not to the things which are seen, but to the things that are unseen. 
For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. All through church history, and even into the present time, this strong tendency has caused many Christians and many churches, many denominations, to adopt varieties of old covenant Christianity. In spite of the fact that there are many warnings about this in the New Testament, and I've, I've listed in, the, in my notes, so if you go to the website, you can get a number of those references. I think this is, explains why the early church slipped back so quickly into, into things that were really contrary to Christ. Not by rejecting Jesus, but by trying to adapt Jesus to their old ways, the ways that they were used to. Their old instincts and their old structures. And they turned Jesus into a champion of the old covenant. Instead of realizing he came to abolish the old covenant. And establish a new covenant. Next week we'll talk about the, how the new covenant is more glorious than the old covenant. And then the following week we'll talk about how the new covenant is permanent. And the old covenant was not only temporary, it was designed to fade and to pass away and is now obsolete. Let us come to the table of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we give praise to you that you have bestowed upon us such a great salvation. Oh Lord, what a crime it would be if we, having heard about the wonderful thing that Christ did to bear the burden of our sin and to grant us the gift of righteousness, if we just walked away and said, we're not interested. Oh Lord, we have no other hope. We have no other way. Only the path of condemnation lies before us if we turn away from you and from your son Jesus. So help us to come to him. Help us to run to him. To run into his arms of forgiveness. His arms of acceptance. His arms of hope. His arms of love. And Lord, we do this coming to the table this morning in light of this extension of Jesus where he holds out his arms to us and says, come to me. Where he invites us to partake of these things which symbolize his body and blood. May we do so with joy, with eagerness, with awe and wonder, with submission, and with love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.